Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with your instant analysis of NXT TakeOver War Games. It was an absolutely fantastic show on Sunday night from the Capitol Wrestling Center, and this is going to be an absolutely fantastic instant analysis as we begin a strong four-episode week on this podcast. Not only do we have this instant analysis of NXT TakeOver War Games for you tonight, but we will be back Tuesday with a full breakdown of everything that happened and will happen from SmackDown and Raw over the last couple of days. On Wednesday, we will have a very special interview episode that I will be announcing on Monday, and we'll be back Thursday with our regular weekly NXT and AEW breakdown. But this is instant analysis. You know how we do it on this side of the table. We always crack open a beer before we get into it, and I'm going back to the old standby, my classic, the Due South Brewing Caramel Cream Ale, their first ever beer that they made down here. Uh, They're actually based out of Boynton Beach, Florida. It is my number one favorite, typical, classic uh, beer that is available down here. So that is what the Silver King will be guzzling throughout tonight's show. Like I said, there's a lot to get to. I want to roll right into it, instant analysis style. So a quick word or two for you. Number one, go ahead, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget to do that. Number two, we have a bunch of episodes from last week that I feel like may have gotten a bit overlooked because there was so much great wrestling audio coming at you at once. So if for some reason you're behind on WWE, listen to that episode from last week. If you are a longtime listener of mine all the way from back in the In This Corner days, then our special 100th episode is sitting there waiting for you. A long conversation between myself, the Brian Campbell, and handsome Nick Casos. A little bit of a throwback that I thought all of you would enjoy. And yes, we did have a big breakdown of AEW Dynamite's Winter Is Coming, the big title change, the the storyline that ended the show, the return of Sting. I had an extended conversation about that with none other than former co-host of the other podcast I was on, Jack Crosby. So tons of audio for you to listen to, but I'm glad you're listening to this one as well. And one last reminder, head your asses over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review, let us know how much you love the show. A lot of you have left left us reviews. I greatly appreciate it, but we have zero so far in the month of December. Let's change that. It's the giving season. Give to the Silver King. I think it's the least that you can do. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. But let's get into NXT TakeOver War Games instant analysis style. You know, the way we do it, unlike the... Ultimate previews that we do, where we talk about the low card, we move to the main event. We do this one in order based on the matches as they are presented to us. So the show opened on Sunday night. It was pretty fire, and it was clear that they barely fit the war game structure into the Capitol Wrestling Center, given the space limitations. They basically cut off the entire ramp. I don't know whether there were fans there or not. It was really tough to tell, but I think they there may not have been. And they just kind of squished it all together. It didn't look bad. They absolutely did the best they could. But War Games is a very difficult thing to set up in an arena, let alone to do so in a glorified warehouse, which is what the WWE Performance Center basically is. Now, the show opened with the women's War Games match, which was not exactly a surprise. But when it happened, I was a little bit disappointed. 
I did hope that would main event the show. Of course, as is, you know, as happens occasionally, I was proven wrong because the right match did main event the show. But nevertheless, it was a strong eight-woman match. Shotzi, Blackheart, Ember Moon, Rhea Ripley, and Io Shirai on one team against Candice LeRae, Tony Storm, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez on the other. So Blackheart got a new and improved tank, and she shot a missile at Dakota Kai, which I thought was funny to start the match. Moon and Kai were the first two that were inside of the ring. Kai hit an awesome sunset flip backstabber before Blackheart and Moon combined for an assisted missile dropkick. These two were great together, by the way. When Gonzalez entered, she took all of the momentum, and then Ripley came in, and she beat the absolute shit out of Dakota Kai until she brawled one-on-one with Gonzalez. Storm was next in. She brought kendo sticks. There was an awesome simultaneous super duper plex in one corner and then an avalanche bulldog in the near corner next to it. Shirai uh, was the last to come in. She, or second to last, penultimate. Uh, She slid two ladders into the ring, but she kept getting denied entry, primarily by Raquel Gonzalez. When LeRae was finally freed from her cage, Indy Hartwell came down, took Shirai out at ringside, allowing LeRae to get in, throw some more weapons into the ring. War Games doesn't start until all eight women are in, but the heels didn't actually know that. So they tried getting a pinfall before EO was in the ring. I love when something that happens in a wrestling match either hasn't happened before, or it's just not something that you think as a fan you've seen before. And that's what happened next when suddenly out of nowhere, Io Shirai is standing atop the cage. She puts an entire garbage can over the top half of her body, her head and torso, and just flies off the top completely blind into the other women below. Like I said, I love when something different and new happens and Io Shirai delivered that in that moment. Shirai in the faces after that, they went on like a death run. Moon and Ripley held Gonzalez down. Shirai hit her moonsault, but the heels broke up the fall. Shirai wiped out Dakota Kai with a missile dropkick through a chair. Kai then wrapped a trash can around Shirai and did a double stomp, almost a coup de gras from the top rope. And the trash can actually got stuck around her body. And you could see Dakota Kai get really concerned because like she didn't know what happened to Io underneath or if she wasn't going to be able to get her out. So there was a little bit of a flummoxing there, but eventually Io Shirai came to. Moon hit an insane eclipse off the top rope and threw two standing chairs, basically like wrenching Dakota's, Dakota Kai's neck on those chairs. It was awesome. It was probably the spot of the entire match. Storm then hit Storm Zero on Moon through a trash can. Blackheart climbed a ladder with LeRae between a couple chairs below and hit a ridiculous flying senton, but was unable to take advantage for the potential win. And this thing's still going here. Shirai hit a second moonsault on Kai, but could not get the fall. Shirai then tried to take out Gonzalez, but she got caught between the two rings as Gonzalez lifted her up in one air in the air on one hand with basically her feet on the middle rope of both rings and slammed Io Shirai through a table for the one, two, three. I'm sorry, slammed her through a ladder for the one, two, three. This match, as you can tell based on my description, was absolutely insane. And the booking gave the least experienced of the eight women the fall over the NXT champion, which clearly indicates a forthcoming title feud. Now that said, I kind of thought that's what was gonna happen. I believe it was last year when Gonzalez was, I think, in the same spot beating Shayna Baszler in this exact same match. But this time, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen because 
Shirai does not really have other challenges around right now. So for me, this thing hit on all notes and I had no reason whatsoever to believe that the men's match would somehow be better and exceed it. And yet, as we'll find out later, it managed to do so. This was as good or better, in my opinion, than any of the NXT Wargames matches that preceded it. The 2018 men's match, that's the peer. That's actually probably the best one just straight up. But this was in that second level, and it was exceedingly entertaining. I did see some prominent critic um, crapping on it because the heels won and the heels had been getting over on TV. So therefore the heels shouldn't win the match. It should be the faces. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, when we were previewing this on our ultimate preview, I predicted that the heels would win this match because even though I thought the face women's team was stronger, in the end, Io Shirai needs challengers. And for that team to just kind of run through and win didn't really make a lot of sense given the booking of what had happened leading into it, given the fact that Io Shirai had basically beaten everyone else. So for me, the right team won. It was the right booking to put Gonzalez over. No one else on the heel team really needed that. And as we come to find out in the post show, uh, it was on a Triple H conference call, Candice LeRae, they're not sure yet, but it appears that she did break her arm just as her character, by the way, is hitting its stride. So luckily, in my opinion, she has Indy Hartwell on her side right there. So she can almost spend the next six to eight weeks. It's usually what it takes for a broken arm to heal as long as it's a clean break. Uh, she can spend those kind of in an advisory role, kind of propping up Hartwell, having Hartwell do her bidding and not necessarily be off screen. So I hope that is what they're able to do with her. I hope the broken arm isn't too bad. Maybe it's just a hairline fracture. But no matter what, obviously not the best result for Candice LeRae, who after a lot of stuttering and stopping early in her NXT career, kind of finally was starting to hit her stride and, and now has to deal with this. But this match was great. It was an awesome start to the show. I mean, again, if I was grading it, I'd probably give it like an A minus and that's an exceedingly high grade. So just very, very happy uh, with what we got to open the show. The next match was Tommaso Ciampa against Timothy Thatcher. This was a massive change of pace from the opener, which was not really a surprise. Ciampa's superplex on Thatcher was the first near fall, and then there was a running knee that caught Thatcher in the ear. Blood started kind of pouring out of it. I thought it was pouring out of the internal, which would have been a problem, but I think it was around the lobe area that he just kind of tore it or something like that. But it was kind of a lot of blood, and it was interesting because it actually enhanced the match because it was real and it was not a blade job where you're like, oh, that's kind of unnecessary. We talked about it in the Moxley Omega match, like blading after a foam microphone shot to the head is ridiculous. This, the blood added some realism to it. Champa had Thatcher in a chokehold and eventually started punching him in the head, bloodied while he was in the chokehold. It looked really, really brutal. Champa eventually caught Thatcher in the ropes with some chops, then a guillotine, realized where he was, hit Willow's Bell and got the win. So they started slow and it was a big turn of pace coming from the women's war game match. But this thing really, really picked up at the end. They were staring at each other on the ring apron in pain after the match, kind of telling you either it was a mutual respect or maybe this thing has some more legs to it. I personally don't want to see anymore, but they did enough within the match to kind of say, hey, you know what? If you guys want to do this one more time, there might be a scenario 
where that could be possible. As I said, it was tough to get into it at the beginning, considering we were coming down off a high from the women's war game match. But by the time this finish came around, I was all in on the match. This was some violent shit. As I said, the blood made it even better. The stare down was perfect. This far exceeded my expectations. And speaking about exceeding expectations, Dexter Loomis versus Cameron Grimes in a strap match. So this match started, Grimes refused to use the mandated strap, only wanted to use his own, which I thought might play into something later in the match, but it didn't really. It it was more just what happened right before the bell, which was Grimes attacking Loomis at the start. They brawled outside for a while. Grimes dumped Loomis over the barricade then pulled him back over the barricade with the strap. He put a blindfold on his head and dominated him for a while. Grimes actually got a lot of offense in. Loomis hit Grimes with the strap, but then ate a German suplex into the corner before rebounding with a fallaway slam and an impressive kip-up for a guy his size. The fact that he and Drew McIntyre can do kip-ups is just ridiculous. Grimes then hit that Spanish fly crossbody. Uh, Loomis countered a cave-in and then used the strap to trip up Grimes like it was wrapped around his feet, tripped him up face first into a chair before knocking him out with silence. That's the chokehold finisher for the win. The strap spot was really inventive. And I hope, my, my expectation is that they rehearsed it a bunch because it just seemed as if it was part of the match and like very natural for Loomis just to use it to his advantage. But clearly it was planned in advance. But just however they planned it and however they worked on it together, it was just so apparently well done that for that to be part of the finish was inventive and unique, and it really sold the match to me. And it was also a really good use, by the the way, of the stipulation. So it was organic, it used the stipulation, really solid altogether. Like I said at the opening, talk about exceeding expectations. You guys know I have not been a fan of this feud. You may not know this, but I'm not particularly fond of strap matches. I hate blindfold matches, but I'm not particularly fond of strap matches either. But these two worked their asses off. This was tremendously entertaining and it was well-placed on the card to come right after the Champa and Thatcher match. So you want to talk about over-delivering. I would say out of everyone on the show, this over-delivered, at least per my expectations. Uh, we also, during the show, to take a, a quick break here, we had Finn Balor and Karrion Cross both make their presence felt at different points. Balor could have pre-taped promo about saying kind of like the time for team sports was over coming out of war games. He would be ready to go Wednesday on NXT. So that was great because it gave people a reason to watch NXT for the champion. Then later in the show, Karrion Cross had a short vignette that showed a vulture perched, ready to strike. My guess is that the Cross tease is gonna go on for at least a couple weeks into the future. There's an event upcoming. We'll talk about that later whereas Balor can get back to business starting this week. I would probably not like for them to return on the same show, and my expectation is that Cross still needs more time to heal. I mean, based on the the timeline I remember, I think it's at least another month, so let's hope they don't rush him back too soon. A lot of people forget, and I forgot it even myself leading into these packages, that NXT has been operating with a somewhat short roster. I mean, they're down their champion. They're down the guy who was supposed to be champion. Those are two highly elevated main eventers right now. And NXT has been doing relatively well without them. So 
Kudos to them, again, for putting on a good show without those guys factoring in and the main championship. Really, neither of the two main championships factored in, but the secondary title did because next up was the North American Championship match, Leon Ruff defending in a triple threat against Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano. Priest tried to convince Ruff not to get in his way, but Ruff constantly refused. He eventually paid for it by eating a razor's edge through an outside barrier that got him hauled to the back. It was really a ridiculous spot. Ruff just got tossed. In between, Ruff and Gargano teamed up to try to take out Priest, but Gargano kept outsmarting both of them. Gargano hit sliced bread on Priest. Ruff made his way from the back, vaulting off Priest's back over the top rope into Gargano. Then he hit a step-up senton off the top rope to the outside. Ruff followed with an incredible flying cutter on Gargano. And I'm just like, man, this kid can go. This guy can go. Uh, Priest hit a double flatliner, but Gargano threw Ruff into Priest in the corner, then locked Priest in the ropes of the second ring as he watched the other two fight. Ruff hit a crucifix bomb, got a 2.5 count, but he missed a frog splash. And then right as Johnny Gargano put Ruff in the Gargano escape, Priest finally escaped the ropes. He was able to break it up. Then he had a flying spinning heel kick off the top rope, which was just nutty. He caught Gargano with a power choke slam. And then right as it looked like he was about to get the finish, suddenly six different scream mask dudes beat up Priest. So Priest flew over the ropes with a Tope Kong hero and then flew over the ring post with like a senton and took two sets of three of them all out. Then he chokeslammed Gargano on the ring apron. Priest like took a beat to catch his breath. And when he did that, Ruff flew in with a frog splash. And it was like, oh my God, that's how Ruff's gonna retain. No, that's not what they did. Priest broke it up at the last second. He then ruined Ruff, just took him out with a spinning knee, then hit Gargano with two spinning heel kicks. You're like, all right, the finish has to come now. So Priest got ready basically to hit the reckoning on Gargano, but he was hit in the back with a lead pipe from another scream mask dude, just as he was about to get the finish. Ruff tried to roll up Gargano, but Gargano instead rolled through it, hit the one final beat, got the win, and recaptured the title. So the scream mask was revealed afterward to be Austin Theory, as we all expected for weeks. Again, sometimes expectations being met are good. Sometimes predictable is good. And I was totally fine with that. What was strange here is unlike Retribution, where they had all those people, you know, the extras, the the dozen or so extras along with Retribution, you knew Retribution would be a multi-person group. With Gargano, it seemed like there would at least be two Scream Mask people because of last week on NXT or this past Wednesday's episode. So the fact that now... He's recruited six plus Austin Theory. It's like, well, who are those other six? Right? Like I can suspend my disbelief so much, but who did Gargano convince to help him in addition to Theory? Really, they only needed Theory with a lead pipe. They could have done the rest of it and just had Theory show up, hit the lead pipe and go for it and not had all the other stuff with the other six dudes. So to me, that took me out of it a little bit. It's a minor complaint you know, extra credit, by the way, to Austin Theory. Once they got the camera on him, when he revealed himself, he screamed, it was me, Austin. It was me all along. A great throwback reference. Uh, The action in this match was fantastic. 
Ruff completely played his part. He was not out of his depth whatsoever, working with guys the caliber of Priest and Gargano. If I was grading the individual match, it's tough to give it an A with the heavy interference type of finish. But this was as good a match wrestling-wise as you could get otherwise from a triple threat with guys these sizes. That differential, I mean, Johnny was the middleman, but he's not a middleman, right? So for these three to work together, the way they did, the fluidity, the moves that were pulled off, it was really an incredible wrestling match. So, you know, if I'm grading it, it's like a B plus equivalent. You know, it's like a a 4.25 because you can't go you know, beyond that with the finish as it was. But Damian Priest looked dominant. Johnny Gargano got over as smart, cunning, and conniving. And Ruff somehow got built strong. He got over completely despite being defeated. So this storyline, people were talking about, hey, why would you put the title on Leon Ruff? And yeah, I was with you. You know, it, it seemed strange and unnecessary and a bit comedic for an important title. But what ended up happening here? Gargano got the title back as we expected he would. Priest looked incredible again in this match and is now 100% ready for the main event. And Leon Ruff, instead of being this kind of skinny, small joke guy who they have to build up over six months or so to be legitimate, he's legit now. He could go into a match against maybe not anyone in the company, not Balor, not Adam Cole, but a lot of other dudes he could have a one-on-one match win and you would not be surprised by it. That's how good Leon Ruff was in this match and that's how good he's been the last couple of weeks. So a lot of credit for him. This thing was a winner all around. The main event was Men's War Games Undisputed Era against Pat McAfee, Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch. And this thing, man, oh boy, this was a barn burner. Dunn and Kyle O'Reilly started, and no surprise that in the one-on-one situation, they worked their asses off. The double teams with Lorcan when he came in were great. The action really picked up once Bobby Fish got inside. Birch was next. He brought two cricket bats in. The heels took a huge advantage when that happened. Roderick Strong, he came in next, went on a solo run, had a great spot running the aisle between the two rings, hitting all three opponents, running back. It was really, really cool. When McAfee entered, he slid four different tables in the ring, spray painted with the names of the Undisputed Era members. And commentary sold that as cocky and confident and thought, hey, maybe that'll bite him in the ass a little bit. And it was a good kind of tease for what happened throughout the rest of the match. McAfee right away put Strong through his table with a moonsault. Adam Cole blinded the heels with a fire extinguisher to be the last person in, took him out with a chair, and War Games officially began. Cole countered Dunn's bitter end with a DDT in a pretty sick spot. And then O'Reilly goaded McAfee one-on-one so Cole could basically hit him with a chair from behind. And after that, everyone started brawling. McAfee took out Cole's knee, put him in the figure four, but Cole reversed it as the other six men were all in submissions, but no one actually submitted. The remaining tables were basically set up at different parts of the ring as Cole and Dunn had a great exchange. Undisputed Era powerbombed Dunn into Birch through the Cole table, but it didn't take. Somehow, I don't know how it didn't break. So Strong basically just said, screw it. Got on the top rope, splashed them through it. McAfee tried to grab Cole while he was on the top rope. So Cole pushed him halfway across the ring and he flew through the O'Reilly table. That was a really cool spot. Undisputed Era took shots at the other guys four on three, annihilated them between the ropes and the cage. McAfee tried to escape, but he got pulled down as Undisputed Era took turns on him. 
Cole was ready to, it seemed like, finish the match with a punt kick when the heels finally woke up from their beating and attacked. And at this point, I'm like, okay, I don't know how they're going to finish this. My expectation is Undisputed Era is going to win, but that seemed to be the moment. Well, man, they took us on a ride coming from that. Cole hit Dunn with a flying neckbreaker. Strong nailed a superplex on McAfee with all eight guys down. Uh, McAfee climbed atop the cage and hit a flying senton, taking out all the other seven dudes. Crazy spot from him. O'Reilly and Dunn got the spotlight again as they did in the opening. Uh, Dunn took him out with the bitter end and it looked like that might be the finish, but O'Reilly kicked out at a 2.9, so that was strong for him. O'Reilly came right back with a suplex onto the steel between the rings, got a similar near fall on Dunn. O'Reilly then went to finish Dunn, but McAfee took him out with a chair. McAfee then low-blowed Cole as he went for a chair shot, but Cole dodged the ensuing punt kick. Fish, out of nowhere, speared Danny Birch through another table. McAfee hit a super kick, but Cole caught McAfee with a super kick of his own when McAfee tried to do Cole's signature Panama Sunrise. Cole then hit Panama Sunrise, and we're like, okay, that's the finish, because it was a damn good move. McAfee sold it like hell. Shockingly, he kicks out a 2.9. Cole sells it with the face that he always makes. Everyone's popping. I mean, if there was a crowd, the crowd would have been going insane in that moment. Lorkin sacrificed himself for McAfee and took Cole's last shot finisher. Dunn came to, hit the bitter end on Cole into a standing chair, and we're like, okay, that's the finish. Nope. Strong broke up the pin and then somehow one-upped it with his incredible end of heartbreak backbreaker. Pete Dunn must have flown 20 feet into the air. It was one of the craziest cells I've ever seen. Undisputed Era, then they teamed up uh, to take out Lorkin with high-low. O'Reilly came through with his flying knee into a chair on Lorkin's face to get the pinfall victory in what was a truly stunning match. Dunn was unquestionably the man of the match. He dominated the entire thing. O'Reilly was the perfect person to get the fall, given that he lost to Balor, but has been the one getting pushed recently. This last two months has really been about solidifying Kyle O'Reilly as someone who might actually be able to be in an NXT main event again. I mean, he was already in one with Balor, but there were circumstances where that happened. O'Reilly is now looking so strong that maybe it's main event, maybe it's a North American championship feud with Johnny Gargano. That actually probably makes more sense given what everyone else is doing. But O'Reilly continues to be built strong. And I thought it was a really great piece of booking for the entire match to really be built around Cole and McAfee. Cole gets over on McAfee, but we've already seen Cole beat McAfee. So the storyline is the other Undisputed Era members have their leaders back. They're just as good as him. They're the ones to actually get the win, not just solidifying the victory and the fact that they're a faction, but the four of them being very strong together. So I thought the finish was absolutely incredible. It raised the grade of the match altogether. I would really have to go back and look at that 2018 men's war games match to say whether this was better or not. But again, if we're giving this a letter grade, it's an A. It's a a 4.5. I mean, it's as good as you're going to get out of a war games match without going off the reservation with like, you know, only having dudes like Cole and Don and Ricochet in there. Like if you're going to have other wrestlers who maybe are not 
top tier, and that is not a, a, a slight to any of these guys. I'm not saying that. But unless you're going to do something absolutely epic, in a War Games match, you're not going to get a five-star match, generally. But this was, I mean, 4.5, 4.75. This thing absolutely ruled. So NXT TakeOver as a whole, very, very good. I did get a DM slide. I actually got a lot of DM slides over the course of the show, but it is late. It is an instant analysis. I want to run through stuff pretty quickly. Nick Z at nzannyboney93, he said, hey, did you notice that Undisputed Era was wearing red and black? I wonder if they show up on Raw Monday. It's a good point. What I noticed in the match is most of the guys in the match on both teams had fatigue-like tights. And in order to differentiate the teams, Undisputed Era being in black and maybe a little bit of yellow with the fatigues wouldn't have differentiated from the other team that was in all black with the fatigues. So could they have done yellow? Yes. And was it strange they didn't? Yes. Maybe they're going with red as a a twist on Undisputed Era considering they're staying together and it's a, a new phase of the faction. That's certainly possible. Is it possible they go to Raw? I do think that's possible because honestly, what else are they going to do right now? But at the same time, they just had the draft. Undisputed Era was certainly not drafted to either brand. And Raw, as we've discussed on numerous occasions, is loaded right now with mid-carders. So what are you going to do? Bring up Undisputed Era, have them beat Retribution, then have them beat the Hurt Business, and then what is there for them to do right now? I just, I don't think Raw would be the right show for them. I actually think SmackDown would be the right show for Undisputed Era right now, even though I said the opposite about six months ago. But I just think this was a coincidence. I don't think it was signaling anything. They didn't do a farewell at the end of the match, though they did all stand there and like pump each other up. But there wasn't a bow. There wasn't anything that would make you think really that was their final salute for NXT. But look, it's not, it's not impossible. It certainly could have happened. Uh, NXT also, by the way, uh, is promoting their next event, which is called New Year's Evil. It's going to be the first NXT TV show in 2021. That's a Wednesday. I think New Year's Evil was the name of that WCW KISS combined pay-per-view that was a colossal failure, never actually happened, ill-conceived, typical like Eric Bischoff, like garbage with KISS back in the day. I think that was the name of it. So I guess maybe WWE had the rights to it or or I don't know, but that's going to be the name of this special show. As we sit here, I think it's four weeks away, four Wednesdays away. So they're going to do that. Triple H on the post-show conference call also mentioned that there would be a takeover soon after. So I think in January, but maybe they don't do it along with the Royal Rumble and maybe they actually save it for February. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Now, the end of this show, the way we kind of wrap things up with these instant analysis is we go back to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast and we see what you all thought about the show and then what the Silver King thought about the show. So in our pre-show expectation poll, I asked, what do you expect from NXT TakeOver War Games? And it was very, very positive. 66%, two-thirds of respondents expected a B show. And that is exactly where the Silver King fell in. I thought, it's not a strong card. There's only one title on the line. The men's main event 
It's probably going to be good, but the eight men we we see we've seen undisputed era already in two of these. On the other side, McAfee again, Lorkin and Birch. What are they going to do? I just wasn't that enthused. I I, I was not enthused at all for the Grimes. Uh, Loomis strap match, Thatcher and Champa kind of felt like got thrown onto the card. So I was in line though with a B. I always give benefit of the doubt for a takeover. I'm with the 66% of you. Now that said, 26% expected an A. So you guys all thought, it there, some of you thought it would be a better show, basically a third. 7, 5, 7.5% said a C, no one said D or F. And that's just the respect that NXT TakeOver gets. Now, how did things wrap up? Well, of respondents, so the same proportion, said this was an A show. Uh, 33% of respondents said this was a B show. So those two basically flipped with only 1.9% of respondents. And I rounded everything, so I probably did it incorrect. It's actually 65, 33, and then two um, said it would be a C show, 0% D or F. So long story short, I said those matches exceeded my expectations, a couple of them. This show exceeded my expectations and this show exceeded your expectations. You guys primarily grading it in a show and I completely agree with you. There was not a single match on that show if we're giving them letter grades that was worse than a B. I'd probably go something along the lines. I didn't write it down, but like A minus for the women, B for the two middle matches, B plus, I think I said, for the North American Championship, and then an A for the main event. So that probably rounds to a B plus, but really A minus show. It's really solid top to bottom. I mean, the fact that NXT put on an event of that caliber, given all of the issues that we've talked about, all of the people not available, not having multiple titles on the line, three titles eaten up in the two War Games matches. It was really impressive. I think they deserve a lot of credit. We have gotten some great freaking wrestling in 2020. I mean, AEW, that Winter is Coming show was really, really damn good. Something's great, something's mediocre, but the show was really good. That was a TV show. Great American Bash, Halloween Havoc from NXT, absolutely fantastic. The prior AEW pay-per-view was really damn good. I mean, WWE, I think maybe the last pay-per-view took a little small step down, but prior to that, I think it was four damn good shows, like A, B plus shows in a row. Things are hitting on all cylinders as 2020 comes to a close. And man, NXT totally delivered on Sunday night. They deserve a lot of credit for the type of product that they put out, especially given all of the circumstances. Now, I hope you are enjoying the type of product that this show, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, puts out every single week. I'm going to tell you what's ahead as we wrap up 2020. We just celebrated our 100th episode. I already told you about that. On Tuesday, we're going to be talking WWE SmackDown and WWE Raw. On Wednesday, there is a very special interview episode. It is more of a conversation than an interview I do not want any of you to miss it. I will make the announcement of who I spoke with Monday on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. And then we will be back Thursday to break down everything from the so-called Wednesday Night Wars between NXT and AEW. But that's not all. As we wrap up the rest of the month, we will have 
the Getting Over Awards. I have not yet settled on a name. There's going to be some Twitter polls about that, by the way. Another good reason to follow Getting Overcast. Got to come up with a name for the awards. But you guys will all be able to nominate and vote in those year-end awards. I'm not quite sure whether that award episode is going to be at the end of December or the very first episode in January. I have to look at the calendar. I'll figure that out. But we will be doing year-end awards. I want all of you to contribute and I'm very excited to present that to you as well. We also, coming up, of course, WWE TLC at the end of the month. So we'll have another Ultimate Preview, another instant analysis. The fun does not stop on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I appreciate all of you listening to today's show. I know there were not a lot of sound drops in the show. We'll get those back during the week. It's tough to do it for an instant analysis when you're riding solo. But again, I appreciate all you listening. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to follow me, The Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. And please, now that you're done listening, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. Every single rating, every single time you tell someone about this show, it helps bump us up in the Apple Podcasts rankings and the Spotify rankings. By the way, we're available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can listen on your phone, your computer, your Google and Amazon devices. However you want to listen to the show, you can even listen to it on Twitter. Just click the uh, links I send out, find the player and play the damn show. My point is you can listen to this podcast however you want. And I appreciate you listening to us tonight. So it has been a long night. NXT TakeOver War Games is in the books. The Silver King's tired. It's time for me to say goodbye. That means I have just three words left for you. Bye for now.